Lord Jesus, these are exhausting times in which we live. And Lord, we need hope and we need a place to put our trust. Something that will not change, something that is sure, something that is certain, something, Lord, that is eternal. And you are up to that challenge. And Lord, we turn to you as we open your word together as your people. So we ask you to bless us as your people in Jesus' name, now and always. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Would you agree with me that these have been exhausting days? Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, I'm tired. You know, it goes back to you know, some weeks ago. Oh, man. The Cubs made the World Series. And, and how many of you watched some of that play out? Um, a lot of you did because, uh, you know, it's hard. To, I'm just going to say it. Unless you're from Ohio, it's hard not to root for the Cubs. Um, and, and here's why. I mean, even if you're not a baseball fan, which I am truly not a baseball fan, but living in Illinois for 20 years, really from college on, uh, spending time there and not being a baseball fan, and yes, there are choices when it comes to who you're going to root for in baseball in, in Illinois, but I'll tell you, it was hard not to root for the Cubs while I lived there. Going to Wrigleyville or going to Wrigley Field, it's just this nostalgic experience, and I think of the memories I shared with family and friends there, and there's something about that park, and something about the Cubs, and any team that has really faced just tragedy after tragedy of not winning, and, and something about being a losing team, and there's always next year, and they make it to the World Series, and it seems like they're down for the count, and they come back, and they enter into game seven. And a lot was riding on that final game. You know, talk about drama, talk about the makings of a future movie, if they win. And it was looking like this was a sure thing. And the other thing to this that's a, an important side note is I was always told from my pastor growing up who was from Chicago, and he'd preach it quite often that if the Cubs ever win the World Series, we can expect something. Jesus is coming back in glory. <laughs> right? And so I believe him. I, I'm watching this game. I'm glued to the TV. And it's, it's going on 11.30 at night. And, and, and then it happens. In the bottom of the eighth inning, wouldn't you know it, the Cleveland Indians end up scoring. Uh, and, and they end up tying the game. And, and we go into the final inning of the game, and it's still tied, which means we're going into extra innings in Game 7 of the World Series. And I'm thinking, oh man, and, and then it happened. These guys come out and they put tarps over the field. And I'm realizing they're getting ready for Jesus' final return. <laughs> and it's midnight, I'm like, perfect. And Jesus always said, you know, be watchful through the night. And, and he will come when you least expect him. And then they showed the weather forecast. And there was this huge storefront forming out over the lake. I'm like, there he is. He's coming. And late rain delay. And like, how late is this going to go? i got to work tomorrow. And how many of you were watching at that point? Yeah, you, you were smart if you went to bed, maybe. But then finally they played. And the Cubs came back and won the World Series. And uh, many of us have been waiting, like thinking, well, maybe this is it. Jesus is coming back. But then I remembered another important prophecy. 
that if the Cubs ever win the World Series, the Vikings are going to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> and then last weekend happened. And then I realized there's another prophecy that the Detroit Lions could possibly win the, Detroit, the, the Super Bowl. And, and then we turn to Scripture. And we realize none of those things are listed when Jesus said these will be signs of the end. Uh, now, a few moments ago in the Gospel reading, we had read from from Luke chapter 21, you know, and, and some of the things Jesus talks about, signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth, nations are going to be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehension at what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now these are just some of the signs Jesus mentions. In fact, throughout that chapter, uh, Mark's gospel is another great example in chapter 13 where Jesus gives you sign after sign after sign after sign of what to expect, what to anticipate in the end times. One of the things he mentions that I think is significant is actually just a few verses earlier. We're going to put these on the screen. In verses 16 through 17, Jesus says, You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you. Paul would later say this. He'd say that in those final days, the love of people will grow cold. That we will be marked by hatred and anger. Kind of sounds like the election season, doesn't it? And I notice nobody's laughing at that. Because it's not a joke. This has been a brutal season in our country. And we've watched this thing unfold. And the way this has divided families, divided communities, even divided our nation. I, I was, uh, Shane and I were shopping yesterday for a new mattress. And we were down at Art Van and we're talking to the sales clerk and it, as we're getting, you know, looking at different mattresses. And he says, so who'd you vote for? <laughs> He says, I'm not telling you. And he says, yeah, funny you say that. Somebody asked me, they came in, we got to talking, and I, he said, I made a joke. I said, man, I'm so glad I wrote, voted for Ross Perot. And, and, and they said, he said, oh, I'm just kidding. And then I told her, he said, I, I said, well, I actually voted for Trump. And, and he says, this woman's face turned. He says, we were actually going up, uh, and she was getting ready to slide her credit card. And she looked at me in anger, and she says, I'm leaving now. And she walked and stormed out of the, the store. He says, because I voted for Trump. He's like, I don't actually think he's a very good guy. But he says, there weren't a lot of choices in this one. He says, and I voted on the platform. And he says, but there's so much hatred out there on this one. I was watching this in, you know, in social media. Oh, my goodness. What, what a wreck social media has been through all of this. And to see um, even some of you unfriend people in the midst of the election, 
Pastor Steve got off of social media altogether during the election. He just couldn't handle it anymore. I've quit ever since. I mean, it's like, my goodness, the way people have been terrorizing one another and saying things in words, they're so hurtful and hateful. I, I remember hearing this too. People were making a point for Hillary and saying, people made this point, she is not fit to be president because after all, she stayed with her husband after he cheated on her. And I'm thinking, yes, yeah, she did. I, I think that's awesome because they worked it out. And so many marriages don't. They just walk away from one another. She stayed committed to her husband. I, I kind of think that's a good thing. And, and yet that was used to actually tear her apart. Like, really? What are we doing? And, and the things that were said about Trump, the things that Trump said along the way. And, and you no wonder the media made a circus of that because often he did make a circus of himself. You've got to be honest about that. And, and the issues and, and the pain and the things that were exchanged and the hatred and, and the anger and the war of words and the war of violence. And, you know, and we're seeing this play out. And, and you get to the point where you say, what is going on? And, and now I've seen this, and people, you know, you see the demonstrations that are going on on the other side. I see people who voted for Trump gloating, saying, see, we're going to take this country back. We're going to force it back on this nation and get back to what we're really all about. And I, I get what they're saying, but there seems to be a lot of anger in that too. And it gets to, to the question, where is our trust? Really, what is it we really are hoping for? Where are you hoping and where are you trusting these days in which we live? You know, God's word has a lot to say about that kind of thing. In fact, God tells us in Psalm 146, we're going to turn to that right now. He says, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose hope is in, read it with me, the Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Where do we put our trust today? You've maybe heard me share this before. I, I remember the couple that was approaching retirement. This is back in the early 80s. And uh, they had been traveling the world. They had a lot of retirement savings all saved up. And, and their purpose for traveling the world was to find a place that they wanted to eventually uh, buy a house and settle for the remainder of their years. And uh, parameters on that decision, of course, a place that would be beautiful. But their number one thing they had made clear to everyone that knew them they were searching for the safest place in the world to spend out the rest of their years. And uh, on their final weekend at their church, they told their pastor, said, hey, we're, we're, we finally made the decision. We've sold our house. We're moving away. We're not even going to tell you where we're going, but let it be known. We found what has been known as and, and shown to be the safest place to live in the world. And pastor, we'll send you a postcard when we get there to let you know where we are. And, He's like, wow, it sounds exciting. Prayed over him, hey, enjoy. And, and uh, so they, uh, some, some weeks go by and the postcard arrives and, 
And they said, Pastor, just wanted you to know we've settled into our new house. We're really enjoying our time already in our new place of retirement, the Falkland Islands. And about eight months later, the war of the Falkland Islands broke out. Back in 82, I think that was. All by way of saying, no matter how much research we do, no matter how much praying and, and planning we give into any human decision and trying to control our circumstances and trying to find a place where we can be at peace and find hope in the things of this world, guess what? It's not going to live up to expectations. It won't. And God points out in Psalm 146, guess what? Humans fail us. If your hope and your trust today is that Donald Trump is going to turn this nation around, you're going to be disappointed, folks. And the reason I know that is because he's a human being. And if we think that's where our hope is and where our trust is, it's not going to live up to our expectations. Because human beings fail us. Every president fails in some way. Oh, I'm not just pushing it aside and saying this is not worth it. No, of course it is. We live in the greatest nation in the world. How cool was it this week if you saw that moment when President-elect Trump sat down with President Obama and they spent an hour and a half together and they came and shared their time. And two guys, to see them shake hands, that's one of the great traits of our nation is that a peaceful transfer of power can happen. That even when we differ on ideas, that where does that happen? Where it's not about, you know, a forceful entry with guns that are shooting people down to have a political party get its way. We have an amazing nation and we are so blessed, but our hope and our ultimate trust is not in whoever is in power. Our trust is not in our political party. Our ultimate trust for peace and joy is not in any of that. It's in God. Because God reminds us, blessed, happy are those whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Some years ago, I remember hearing Bill Hybels speak. He is a senior pastor of one of the largest Christian churches in the United States, uh, Willow Community Church, and I, I heard him share a story in, in his life where he had been traveling, he was in South America at an airport, and I seem to remember it was in Brazil or somewhere like that, and, and as he was waiting for his flight, as he was leaving, he was reading a book, and, and, and then he saw it, he just heard this sound of, of a fist hitting flesh. Just that unmistakable sound of, you know, and, and he turned over, and here's what he had pretty much estimated a 16-year-old kid hauling off on a 10-year-old and, and was just beating this kid senseless, had him on the floor, was pounding his head on the floor, there was blood. It, it was this ugly, ugly situation, and, and, and Bill's looking around, there's nobody even really looking or noticing, and he runs over and he separates these kids, and he's calling out, parents, where are the parents? And Nobody came. And, and at that moment, they called for his flight. And, and he's realizing he's going to miss the flight final call. And, and he's like, parents, somebody. And, and finally, he had to walk away from the situation to get on his flight. And, and was just shaking. And, and so, so 
overwhelmed by the situation. It's like, why? And part of him just wanted to ignore it. Part of him just wanted to gloss it over and just move on. And, and yet, as, as he's often taught many church leaders, he says, you know, in moments like that, may we not look away. What is God teaching us in moments like that about our reality? And he reflected on that. He prayed on that. And he said, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? He was actually on that flight flying then to Washington, D.C., where he had an opportunity to meet. And I can't remember which president at that time he was meeting with, but he went to the Oval Office. And as he was waiting to meet with the president, there was also a Secret Service agent that was in the waiting room with him. And he looks over, and the Secret Service agent was handcuffed to a briefcase. And he came to realize that that was what's called the, the, the holy football or the, you know, the, this, the nuclear launch codes or whatever in that suitcase. He was in the same room with it and was just like overwhelmed at the thought of how much power was in that suitcase. And, and, and Bill talks further. He says, you know, as I'm sitting there just pondering this, he said his gaze went down and he looked and right at his feet was his own briefcase that was open and in it he could see his Bible. And, and God brought all those things together. He came to realize as he thought about it and pondered it that no amount of government power has the ability to change a human heart. Those kids fighting in an airport are not going to be persuaded not to fight by whoever is president of any nation. What changes people's lives, what changes and has power to change lives in the human heart is God's word. And he realizes he's sitting there, he's like, my briefcase is actually way more powerful than the one that's across the room from me. Because it has the power to change things for eternity. Not just blow stuff up. That changed his ministry going forward. To realize that the hope of the world is God's people. The hope of the world, our trust is in God. And our trust in God gives us power to change our world. And we do that relationally with the people we know, the people we work with, the people we have the opportunity not to point at and say, ha ha, we won. Or, no, it's to love people. To show grace, to show mercy, to show what God is. Because God has the power to transform lives, to change our world. Where is your trust today? You know, if it's in princes or presidents or Congress, we're going to be disappointed, folks. But the good news is we have something even greater to hope in for the future. And that is a God who has told us who we are. And a God who does give victory by going to war. And that's what he does when he goes to the cross. A God who is willing to sacrifice his everything to give us victory by overcoming death and sin and brokenness and pain and struggle with the promise that a day is coming where he's coming back in glory where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That is our trust. And that is our hope. And that is our joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this nation that we live in. We thank you for the freedom that we have been given to elect leaders, to, to voice 
our opinions and have opinions and, and be able to vote in freedom. We thank you for that freedom that has been won for us by all of those who've laid down their lives ahead of us. And Lord, we also want to thank you today for the gift of being with us as your people and that calling and that citizenship that goes well beyond any nation because it is the hope of the world. Lord, may our trust be in God, in you, in your presence, in your promise over us as people. May you move in us in powerful ways, Lord, as that hope of the world. To lift up Jesus more and more through our attitudes, through our motivations, through the way that we love one another with truth and love and grace and power. Lord, we thank you that you have promised us the gift of your faithfulness. And you are not a God who changes, but a God who remains steadfast no matter what the circumstances around us. Lord, bless us in these days as your people, in Jesus' name, as we await your coming in glory, now and always. Amen.